0: Welcome to Talk It Out with Tab. I'm your host, Tab, creating a safe space for you to share your truth. Let's talk it out as we walk into our existence of thriving together. Good people, today we have Tangela Irby. She is a 27-year veteran in education. She's an author, a quilter, descendant of G's Bend, and she currently conducts virtual school visits to showcase her debut book, Pearl and her G's Ben quilt alongside that book. She also has a G's Ben's quilt coloring and activity book that she shares with educators and children Pearl and G's Ben quilt is a heartwarming tale that is told through the eyes of a child who has spent hours watching her grandmother work her magic with a needle. I'm so excited to have Tangela with us today, and she is going to share a snippet of her book and tell us why she wrote this piece of work. Tangela, welcome. Thank
1: you for having me. Let's get right into the book. You are welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. you. Thank you. On a lazy Sunday afternoon, Pearl sat playing in the living room with her friends, Sally and Ella, as the aroma of homemade biscuits, smothered chicken, rice, Collard greens from the garden and grandma's famous tea cakes fill the house. Wow, that quilt is amazing, Sally said. My mom has quilts like this at our house. Grandma told me I come from a long line of G's Bend quilters whose quilts have been displayed in galleries and museums all over, Pearl proudly boasted. When I get older, I'm going to make quilts too. And one of my quilts will hang over there one day. Pearl pointed to the empty space where she intended to display her work. That's pretty neat. But what are G's Ben quilts? I've never heard of that before, Sally asked wide-eyed.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now, we spoke a little bit offline, and I thought the little girl was you. So, tell us about the book, and tell us about what um, propelled you to to really share this passion.
1: What's interesting is I often have this discussion with a good friend of mine. And she looked at Pearl on the cover and she says, you know what, that's you on the cover. And I said, no, it's not. I said, I've never met met the illustrator. The illustrator has never seen me. The world is virtual, right? That's not me on the cover. And then I'll have people who will send me pictures of their nieces and their granddaughters with the book. And every little girl, I see there's something about this character on the cover of this book that, re- that they look like. You know, for some reason, she resonates with a lot of little girls. They're seeing themselves in her. And that's really what I wanted. I want our children to see representation of themselves in books, and a lot of different books, different um, genres of um, of writing. And so that was part of the motivation for this book. But honestly... What's happening is our children are spending so much time on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram. They're using TikTok. They're playing games. They're finding other ways to occupy their time. And my fear is that we're going to lose a lot of our family traditions. So in my family, our family story, in terms of the claim to fame, if you would use that, that term, is quilting. You know, I, we, there's a legacy of quilting in G's Ben. And my roots are in G's, Ben. And what's happening is because our young people are not quilting, we're going to lose that. So the purpose of the book was to inspire little girls to pick up that um, that craft, to go back to it. And so I want my nieces to know the history. I want them to know that their grandmothers produced something that the world will forever hold as art. My grandmothers, they didn't go to college, but yet their work is being compared to some of the biggest artists matisse people that you know they never knew and so it really is a legacy to be proud of and so one of my missions was to if you follow the history with the quilts you know that and a quilt can get they're charging people have actually made tens and tens of thousands of dollars for a quilt and i've i've heard i don't have proof i don't have any documentation but i've heard that someone actually received thirty thousand dollars for a quilt that was made and so me, myself, having roots in G's Ben, I hope to one day be able to have $30,000 and say that that's how I want to spend it. But that's not my reality. And I want people who want a piece of G's Ben to be able to afford that. And so on the cover of my book, the little girl who is not me, who is Pearl, is actually holding a quilt that my grandmother made probably 50 or 60 years ago. This is a quote that is in our family. And so um, it's a way that, like I said, that everyone can have a piece of G's Ben.
0: Wow. That's pretty powerful. What I hear you saying are two primary things. Um, you truly want to hold on to your legacy and you're using storytelling and writing as a way to pass down your history, to pass down your legacy. And to tell your story. And the second thing I hear you saying is to equip our children with education. To equip our children with a different way of learning. Actually, it's not even a different way, but to reintroduce them to the original way of learning, which is by picking up a tangible book and reading instead of being in front of an electronic
1: device. So that's pretty powerful. And being an educator, that's really important to me. You know, my goal is really to bridge generations through storytelling and stories, they're, they're powerful. And what we're finding is that we find that we're more alike through stories, through sharing our histories with one another. And it really is a way to, for example, when I was growing up and, you know, um, you see people quilting and you really just think that that's something that your family did. Right. And so then as I got older and once I learned to quilt, I found that a lot of people quilt and it's not just people that look like me. And so as I start posting on Instagram and saying different things, a lot of people are connecting to this book. And it's like it's a situation where, oh, well, you know, my mom gave me a quilt when I moved away or my grandmother gave me a quilt when I went off to college. And so, again, it's another way for us to really, really connect.
0: So your mom, your grandmother, and, and I'm assuming most of the ladies in your family quilt. And how are you engaging the younger generations? You were mentioning your nieces. How are you engaging them in starting this, this custom of quilting?
1: Here's what's interesting in that. And part of the Gee's been story is that it would be the grandmother, the mother, and the kids. You know, it goes right down the family line in terms of quilting. My mom never liked quilting. My mom would tell the story about how she would come home from school and they would have that huge frame up and they would have to crawl under it to get into the house. And she just never wanted to quilt. It wasn't something that she was interested in at all. So, you know, you do have those cases where it's just not, it's something that people just don't want to do. I learned back in probably the early 2000s by, with a woman that I worked with who actually I told her about my history and she was a quilter. And I said, I wanted to learn. I kept saying, and she said, you're going to do it. So she brought in some fabric and that was how I learned, but I didn't learn the way that the G spin quilters are learning the way they quilt. I'm learning that now. So part of this book was self-discovery for me to find out those pieces that I did not know. You know, I knew when I compared what my aunt does and um, when I compare what she does to what I learned to do, I could see the differences. For example, I learned to tie a quilt as opposed to actually hand stitching to, to quilt to actually do the quilting. And so for me, I still want to create a quilt using this method. I've never done that. I've never done it. But I do have a niece who is really interested in learning. And so I will be working with her probably when we get to the point where, you know, it's safe for us to be around each other again, right? So a lot of this, this work for me came out of the fact that we were in COVID and that I always said that I wanted to write a book. Did, had no idea how to do it. I talked to my aunt. I remember things that my mother said about slowing. I talked to my aunt all the time. And it was just the opportunity to, to go ahead and do it.
0: That's truly awesome. And how does the program look when you, I know part of your work is to virtually take these, take this piece of work to different schools. How does that, how does that work? How do you get introduced to these schools? And and how does this activity you know, the activity book work that goes along with the actual
1: text. So what I've been doing being that I'm an educator and I've worked in a couple of districts in the state of Connecticut. So I started home, you know, I started calling people, sending emails to people that I know. And so I was able to do a couple of school districts where I know the principal, I know the, the vice principal. And um, I'm trying to think. So I did a couple of places in Connecticut. I did a school in Alabama. I did a school in Pennsylvania. And some of the people I've just found on Facebook because people that know about G's Ben, if I make a connection, yes, they're please, we definitely want you. And it's easier to get in the door that way as opposed to calling someone cold and then having to explain to them the connection, et cetera. So there were a couple of teachers that posted on Facebook that they were working on activities with their students. I connected with them, absolutely. And so I was able to come and share the story with them and also talk about the activity book that you mentioned. So the activity book, it is, um, again, drawing on my experience as an educator. Some of the activities that students are asked to do were things that I did with my students when I was in the classroom. I also wanted to afford them the opportunities to design their own quilts. So they do have the opportunity to do that in the book. Um, Of course they can color. That's in there. And they'll see a lot of the graphics that are in the book as well. But the thing that I spent the most time on was, or I want them to spend the most time on, is actually coming up with their own stories. So I give them a couple of ideas uh, for things that they can start or to generate thoughts for them for writing. But what I say to students when I go into the classes is this, my family story may be a quilt story. That may not be your story. And that's okay." but what is your family story? And so I have students tell me that, for example, one student said that, you know, her grandmother gave her, it's a necklace and all of her cousins have that same necklace. And so she said, so that could be something that I can continue to do with my family. So they're really making the connections and it's happening where even before I get to the point where I'm telling them this, they're sharing those stories. So they are definitely getting the point through just listening to the story as it's being read.
0: It is thought-provoking for the children. And that's so important um, in this day and age because we have so many children just, again, like we mentioned earlier, just sitting in front of these electronic devices. And the activity book prompting them to think and prompting them to make their own connections and parallel is really important. It, It really helps them to have life lessons on how to relate themselves to other people and other situations. So that's pretty powerful Mm -hmm. um, that you've even made it more than just an, uh, an activity to create your own quilt. Mm -hmm. You really made it an activity that was truly thought provoking.
1: Definitely. And um, again, from the feedback that I'm getting from students, they are making those connections and they're, they're excited about the book, which, you know, when you do a project, That was the outcome I was looking for, you know, so to actually have it happen, I'm just really, really excited to be able to do the work with students. And, you know, I have one of the schools that I work with after I left, they under, they're doing a a quilt project for the entire school. So each child is going to do their own quilt square and they'll have a classroom quilt. And then I think the classroom is going to come up with one piece that will be part of the school quilt. Oh, that's
0: an awesome idea. Yes. Maybe I can recommend that to my um, my son's school. That is really a beautiful idea, especially you know during their last year of graduation or something like that.
1: Exactly, exactly. Wow. I'm hearing too with a lot of the unrest and things that are going on in the world, there are other organizations too that are using the whole idea of quilting as bringing the community together. So it's the perfect time for a project like this.
0: Oh, that is beautiful. That truly is beautiful. That's exciting. I didn't even think of that or, you know, envision that. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. So I guess from here, are you going to continue to create other children's books or are you going to um, branch out and do narratives of our history or your history rather
1: um, in an adult form? So yes, to all of that. I do have another book, another version, actually, of the book, um, Pearl and Hergie's Bank Quilt, that um, will, will be coming out uh, soon. So there's more to come on that. And I'm also starting the groundwork for an adult book that I would like to do. So I'm going to be talking to some people because it's something that it won't be a project that I'm doing by myself. Because I really think, again, going back to that whole idea of community, Jays um, Bend is coming into public light because of the fact that we all come together for the common good, for example, to create a quilt. You know, the women get together and they do this work together. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a piece that was done on Good Morning America recently. And then another piece aired on the Today Show. So the world is learning about G's Ben and what the ladies have been able to accomplish coming from a space where you did not have a lot, but they've always used what they had. And I think there's a message in that as well. And my book talks about that in terms of, you know, they couldn't go to Joanne's fabric store back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s to get what they needed, right? And so they had to use what they had. And that's something, again, going back to legacy and what we've learned is that, you know, whatever you have, you take care of it. Yeah, I remember my mother saying that all the time. If you, whatever you have, if you have one pair of pants, you take care of that pair of pants. You, know, you, you wash it, you iron it, you hang it up, you, you take care of what you have. And so um, I think in terms of that, I think there are a lot of other messages that we learned growing up hearing it from our grandmothers, from our grandfathers. And I think it's important that we document that. Because we're moving away from a lot of those those things, you know. Uh, my grandparents back in that time they couldn't. If something was wrong, you couldn't go to the doctor. They didn't. They couldn't go. The uh, hospital was probably forty five minutes away. You had to travel at least forty five minutes to go anywhere to do anything. So they had uh, lots of home remedies. Yeah. You know, they had to take care of. You know, I'm sure that there was a herb and a vegetable. There was something for everything, right? Yeah, and so there was. Right. And so we've moved away from that. So I just think this is a good opportunity while um, people are in their homes, unable to do the things that we used to do the way we used to do them, that this mm-hmm. is a good time to start documenting the world has slowed us down. So let's use this time to create those things that we've always said we wanted to do, but we just didn't have the time to do it.
0: Yeah. That's been really important to me during that time, during this time, actually, is to try and give us a voice, right? We're so used to hearing um, life's experiences and just the narrative from someone else's perspective. And it was really important for me to start this podcast so that I can capture our perspective. And so it's such an honor to host people like yourself who you know you're willing to tell your family history you're willing to tell just a small glimpse of your perspective mm-hmm. in the life that you've led and and even you know, just going through your family history, that is so important that we share that with the world and also share that most importantly, though, not even with the world, but share it with our relatives and the younger generation that is to come, because that's what's going to continue to fortify us. That's what's going to continue to build our communities and strengthen our communities so that we know our history. So
1: very important. Yeah, it's very important. And like you said, if we don't control the narrative, then people believe whatever they hear someone else say, mm-hmm. you know, in um, the world that we live in now. There's just so many. And don't get me wrong. Every family has their thing. They have their stuff. Right. Every family. Yeah, has, every we family. Got, everybody. Had, we, everybody got something. You know what I'm saying? But um, I think that we also need to focus on the fact that everybody has something. And even when I'm talking to students who, you know, maybe adopted or for whatever reason, don't have those types of relationships with their um, bio parents, that they can't have the conversations about legacy and history. So what I say to them is that your legacy and your history then starts with you. What are those things that are important to you? Because those are the things that you want to start documenting and, and carrying down the line in terms of the next generation. So again, everybody has something.
0: We do. And and something positive. I'm glad that you put that positive spin on it. What specific age group are you working with
1: now? Right now, I'm actually teaching at the college level. Okay. I'm working with um, college students who are in the education program. So they're going to be our future teachers. Okay. I am doing that. And I'm also working as a consultant with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a lot of different things going it's, on, but it all comes together. Um, whole I enjoy teaching, I enjoy professional development, working with people to help them be able to reach and touch children. And so this is just another arm of that.
0: So with, you know, so now that you're working with future educators, but you're also still going into schools to work with elementary school kids when you do your virtual work. Mm-hmm. Those future educators, of course, you have the gamut, right? You have a diverse population that you're working with. Is there anything in your curriculum that helps those teachers prepare um, prepare themselves for how they relate to kids that look like you and I, especially in their elementary stage?
1: I think what's interesting is, and if we use what's going on in the world right now, um, those are some challenging conversations to have, but I think a lot of times what happens is they need another lens, someone to say, you know what, you need to look at this a different way. And I find that being a person of color, that that's my responsibility when I'm working with people who want to be teachers in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, just thinking about that question is just, it's its just huge because you don't want people to have preconceived notions about our children going into the classroom. And so the beauty of the fact that I was a teacher, I was an administrator, I worked in the building, I work with the kids, I work with the teachers, I always bring in examples, you know, um, to be able to talk to them about, you know, whatever it is that you have in your head, Okay, I can't change what's in your head, but when you're working with a child, you need to find out what really is going on with that child and not just come to not just come to some conclusion about what's happening or what you think is happening. You know, or,
0: or even find out what motivates that child because each child learns differently. Right? It, we can't expect that someone from a completely different um, vantage point and experience of
1: life to learn the same way that you were taught to learn. Exactly. Exactly. So my hope is that that when they leave my class, they're open to that. One of the things that I stress is that, you know, you need to give students choice. So You may have one way that you think you can accomplish a goal or objective with a child, but you need to offer them other modalities. You know, for example, some children have to see it. Some people have to um, hear it, you know, and so the trap that some of us get into is that we know what our learning style is. So we teach everyone that way, but I challenge them to be the student and to be able to learn a different way to reach their children. Because that's how we're going to do it. And the bottom line is, you know, if you the the bottom line is the whole relationship piece. If you can build a relationship with a child, that child will do whatever you ask them to do within the classroom to get the job done because they want to please you. But if you don't like them, they're going to know. Mm-hmm. It's about they, trust too. They have that that relationship builds trust. They have to
0: trust. That you have their best interests at heart, that you are looking out for them and that you're their advocate or else they will not receive what you have. They
1: will not. They will not. And, um, you know, you can always say, well, I taught it. Well, did they learn it? Because if they didn't learn it, you didn't teach it. You just delivered some information. The bottom line is, did they learn it? You know, so just a lot of different ways to try to get people to connect with students, to see them as the human beings that they are. And you know, I always say, treat them like they're your children, right? Treat them like they're your children. You know, um, I always, you know, being an administrator, you from time to time you deal with parents, and they're the demanding parents, right? They're calling all the time. They want to ask this question. They want to meet about everything. And so, you know, you think about it. If that Happen to be my child, that's the parent that I would be. Right. And so you want to treat every child in your classroom like that is their parent. And if you don't do the right thing for that child, that parent is going to be on the door. I am the parent that partners with um, the educators because I
0: believe that, you know, you are seeing a different perspective of my child when he's with his friends and when he's in a different environment. So my I understand that my perspective of my child is very different. And so it's very important for me as a parent to partner with the teacher so that I can get a full scope of my child and also to provide the best with education, with educators. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes parents, you know, I see it on a lot of these uh, parent groups, how parents are really adverse to to teachers, and it's not helping our children. We really, really, really have to, for the benefit of our children, work as a united force for our children.
1: Yes. I'm wondering though, and I haven't been in the the buildings with everything that's going on with COVID, Mm -hmm. but I wonder what the outcome in terms of that parent-teacher relationship will be given uh, what everyone's going through right now. Because one of the things I have seen a lot on social media is that, at least in the beginning, there was a lot of conversation about, wow, I see my child in a different light right now than I did before. And I'm not saying that it's positive or negative, but it was just working with a child on that level revealed some things to some people. Uh You know, um, when you are the person who, you know, you're serving as the parent and teacher, you know, so I'm wondering, you know, when things go back to normal and I'm hoping that they go back back to normal you know will we be better off because we've each had the opportunity i'm not just talking about from the parent perspective but teacher perspective as well we've each had an opportunity to see each other in a different environment to see each other in a different light Um, so i hope that our students will benefit from that now that we know a little bit more information about each other because teachers have had now a a look inside right that they never had before And the same thing Mm -hmm. with parents, I, you know, actually I can say it for both sides, parents and teachers are seeing things a little bit differently now than they did probably two years ago.
0: I I do think it's going to be better. And I think it's going to be better because not only do we have a look inside, like parents are looking into the class. We are there with the, with the teachers as well. And we're seeing our children Our children also interact with their friends and how they interact with their teacher. And teachers are seeing our households. They're seeing the, the way parents love on their kids. They're seeing parents who happen to not be present, even though they're physically present. And they're even seeing some children who don't have any parenting present because maybe that parent is forced to be in work. So they're seeing a lot of the gaps that they may not have understood before. And I think once we start understanding where we are and truly seeing the challenges instead of, you know, instead of a teacher, maybe thinking, well, this parent doesn't care and this parent doesn't show up um, for anything for this child. Maybe the parent, um, the teacher now has a different perspective. Wow. Wow. This child comes from a single parent household and this parent is still struggling trying to work two and three jobs just to keep a roof over the head. It's not that um, the parent isn't present, but maybe now that teacher can put more resources into that child. So I truly believe that it is going to forever shift our perspective on how we provide resources to our children and how we even interact
1: with each other. Mm -hmm. I believe that as well. I believe that something good has to come out of all of this. Right. It has to come out of all of this. And I mean, we see it with seeing, for example, the digital divide and how many students didn't have access to Wi-Fi. You know, I remember the picture of those two students outside the restaurant, you know, trying to access the Internet so that they can do their homework. And I think it's not that those issues weren't always there, even going back to students who, you know, food scarcity might be an issue. Right. So all of a sudden it was before we well, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do that. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden we found the resources. I'm not saying that we fixed all the problems, right? But we found the resources to do a lot better by our kids. Mm -hmm. And so again, going back to when we go back to the way things used to be, I just think there's some things that are just not, and something shouldn't go back the way they used to be. You know, there's some some things that we need to turn the page and close the book on. (laughs) Yeah. We need to
0: remember the power of community. And that's exactly what your book is also teaching the power of community, because when you take all these different pieces of fabric to make, and that's, you can look at that as even as individuals, right? You take all these different pieces Mm -hmm. and you put it together to make one covering, to make one beautiful piece. That truly is the power and a direct reflection on what community means and what community is. Mm -hmm. And it's a covering. It truly is a covering to have a fortified and strong community.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I'm happy to be able to spread that message with you today and your listeners.
0: Yeah, it was. It really is a pleasure. I'm going to have to get the book as well as the activity piece. I, I, I just wanted to also say that if someone wanted to connect with you in order to book you for their school or even just for a small group of children, would you even be open to doing something like that, doing small groups of, of children in a community? Um, I know you mentioned earlier that your website is gsbendmaid.com. Yes, it is. OK, perfect. And that's how we connect with you. And that's how we're able to schedule you. And do you have a minimum capacity of how many children you'd work with at a time?
1: Actually, I don't. Uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about adding to my services, which I haven't even added yet. So I think I wonder if you're a little psychic there, but I wanted <laughs> to actually add, you know, small read alouds for birthday parties. So that's well, something. awesome. I'm, yes, that is the next thing that I would like to add to my list of services. So I'm definitely open to that. And then we also can email you at learning network
0: at gmail.com. That, that is, is also your email address. And it sounds exactly as it is, um, it is read. It's not one of those different spellings like people like to do these days. It truly is learning network at gmail.com. So in addition to that email address, you know, we can purchase. The actual text and the activity book separately. And we can do that at Walmart. We can do that on Amazon. We can also do that at a link that's affixed to the bottom of this podcast. That link will actually take you to where you can get autographed copies. So if you want a personal um, autographed copy for your child, please click the links in the bio beneath this podcast. And what was the third place that your books were um, offered?
1: It was Barnes and Noble, Walmart, books a million. Yeah.
0: So if you wanted to, um, if there was something that you could uh, leave with educators, that you can leave with our children and that you can leave with our parents, if there was one message that you had to leave us all with um, about, about your book, what would that be?
1: So what I would say is that we all have a responsibility, be it the classroom teacher, be it the parent, be it future classroom teachers. We all have a responsibility to to make sure that we're exposing our children. And I say our children to all the possibilities. So be it what they can be in the future, be it what um, learning something that or supporting them in their dreams, We owe it to our children to show them what's possible. Because if they don't see it, they're not going to be able to dream it. If they don't see people who have accomplished a lot, they're not going to think that they can accomplish a lot. So we just need to be strategic in making sure that we're preparing our children for what's next. Because the world that we knew five years ago is not the world that they're going to be entering into. So we need to prepare them for that.
0: It's not the world that we're currently in even. No, no. So... Preparation. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful message to leave us all with. Educators, parents, and as well as students. Students need to definitely see and know the importance of preparation. Because as we've learned this past year, Mm -hmm. the world can change at a moment's notice. And a lot of people were not prepared, whether it be with having um, a few months of income saved up to support their family you know, truth, truthfully, we have, we need a year, we need a year's worth of income saved up to truly support our families versus living paycheck to paycheck, because you never know where we can be. Um, so preparation, thank you for that message. That was necessary and powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tangela, it was my pleasure to be with you. Good people, please check the links below in this podcast so that um, you can find all the ways to connect with Tangela. And it is with love that I leave you. This podcast may contain copyrighted material and may not have been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This should constitute as fair use under Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. If you wish to use any material from this podcast and or site that go beyond fair use, you must obtain express permission from the copyright owner.